Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about um, two of the, uh, some of the uh, most important stories. They're all important, but two true stories um, of something that is happening, has been happening, is continuing to happen, uh, reclaiming treasures stolen by the Nazis. Uh, many of you may have seen the movie that just came out, uh, like I did, Woman in Gold. It tells the story of one woman's quest to recover her family's stolen portrait. And um, many others of you may well have seen the movie The Monuments Men. And um, my other guest, um, his story of, of trying to reclaim the art uh, relates to that movie or is is uh, part of his story is demonstrated in that movie. So these, <laughs> these aren't just movies, folks. These things, you know, really happened. The Holocaust really happened. And um, these are... These are continuations of the stories, and I do want to make one point before I introduce my guests, and that is that even when, um, of course, it's you know really important that these possessions get returned, but no possession, no matter how valuable it is financially or otherwise, it's valuable to the to the heart and soul of the families who are trying to retrieve them, but. No amount of money um, and no particular possession can in any way compensate Holocaust victims and their families for the German atrocities, the atrocities by the Nazis. Um, but that being said, there is certainly, and, and my guests can describe this better than I can, but there is certainly a, a sense of peace, uh, some restoration of peace and pride in getting at least these um, these possessions back, not just for their actual monetary value, but for the value of, of having a piece of your family back. I mean, you know, I'm sure whenever a parent dies or a grandparent dies, um, their, their possessions are very valuable to you. And when parents or grandparents or other family members die in um, atrocious ways, there's uh, also, in, in some ways, more value in getting it back from the people, in many cases, um, well, ultimately, the people who took them from your family, as well as taking the family's lives. So let me introduce my guest, um, E. Randall Schoenberg, Randy Schoenberg. Uh, you, <laughs> he was um, played by Ryan Reynolds in the movie um, The Woman in Gold. And he is actually, um, in real life, the lawyer who did, uh, in fact, win the painting back um, in the Austria versus Altman case. And he is a co-founding partner of Burns, Schoenberg, and Walden. Um, and he specializes in cases involving looted art and the recovery of property stolen by the Nazis. He's also the president of the L.A. Museum of the Holocaust, He's won countless awards as an attorney um, from some of these cases and in general. And um, also my guest is Simon Goodman. He is, um, you will recognize him by, by his uh, British accent, and he was born in London. He's the author of a book called The Orpheus Clock, and his, he is currently on a quest 
to reclaim what the Nazis stole from his family, his grandparents, the art collection. Um, and he has a very interesting story as well um, that um, that relates to these paintings. And you know, it's 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 hard to believe. I mean, both of these stories um, are so dramatic uh, and so so emotional. Um, I, I think some people might find it hard to believe that these quests uh, are actually going on and um, and and are finding success in a number of cases. So why not, I'd, I'd like each of you to just comment in general about this topic and your role in it, and then we'll go into your individual stories. So Randy, do you want to start? Well, my, the topic is, of course, a large one, recovery of property after World War II, and I think it's not surprising given how many people were murdered and how many lives were really destroyed and turned upside down that uh, that artwork wasn't really on the first thing on anybody's mind after the mm-hmm. end of World War II. But because of the way uh, art appreciates and um, it's unique and traceable, uh, it's now seven decades later one of the few things that we can still try to rectify. And so I was very lucky uh, in 1998 to be contacted by a close friend of my family, my grandmother's best friend, Maria Altman, and began working with her on the recovery of the famous Klimt paintings that belonged to her family in Vienna. And through that, I've, I've been introduced to a number of other families that I've helped in a similar way. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Simon? Yes. Hi, Carol. Um, well, you're quite right to say this is uh, families like mine's only opportunity to uh, regain what was taken from us, and as you point out, uh, there's no way we can bring back uh, the family we lost, but uh, amazingly, the uh, possessions that belong to them, particularly when they're valuable pieces such as works of art, you know, the truth is the Nazis kept everything of value, except for human life, perhaps. Um, this is our opportunity to regain our our heritage, which for a long time seemed to have completely disappeared. Um, Apart from um, reconnecting with my family history, which was nearly lost, uh, it's also an opportunity for people like myself, uh, for the descendants of survivors, to uh, achieve a a certain amount of justice. It it galls that uh, the benefits of this Nazi, Nazi looting excuse me, uh, in many cases are still out there, that uh, Mm -hmm. these beautiful things are belonging to people that don't really have the right to have them. So uh, there there are two things there. There's justice and there's uh, our our lost heritage. Yes, it's true um, that, in a sense, as the Nazis have still uh, kidnapped (laughs) these pieces of these pieces of art and are still, um, by having them in their museums and, and benefiting from them in various ways, um, it's, more, it's continuing the pain, it's continuing the injustice, that's true. Well, Randy, why don't you tell us t- your story, you know, starting with, first of all, I have to, how, I have to ask you, um, you must have been happy, I presume, by having uh, Ryan Reynolds play you, was that a treat? <laughs> <laughs> well... He's, uh, he, you know, you don't see me over the radio here, but uh, no one has ever looked at me and said, sexiest man alive. Uh, 
but they have for Ryan Reynolds, so it's of course very flattering to have someone uh, that that uh, attractive play play me in a film. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he's known for his his comic book characters and things like that, but he's also uh, he's also a very serious actor, and so uh, and he does a lot of work, um, and uh, he really did a great job, I think, learning the part and and playing a different type of character than he's used to. It's a little bit against type for him. And I think it comes off very well, and especially his relationship to uh, Helen Mirren, who plays my client, Maria Altman, is very fun to watch. They really uh, get along together very well. Well, did that? I mean, how, I guess that, that's probably the first thing I should ask. Um, was the, Did you consult on that movie, And number one? And number two, were you happy with the authenticity of it? Yes, I was a consultant. The the scriptwriter came to me and and met with me and and uh you know, would send me emails asking questions to make sure things were authentic. You know, everything has to be condensed and and changed somewhat when it's performed, when your life is performed in a in you know, brief snippets in a in a 100-minute movie. Uh not everything is going to be exactly the same as it was. It couldn't be. But um but I think that the the film is terrifically accurate, actually, and and really every scene where things were modified a little bit is, are are really based on things that actually happened, and they've just been sort of changed to fit into a film. So uh, I think a lot of a lot of people watch it and think, oh, that must have been made up, but uh, mm-hmm. especially those parts that you think are made up were absolutely true. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> Um, so I guess the relationship um, between you and um, Ms. Altman was accurate. Is yeah, that right? No, she, I mean, they had me fighting with her a little bit more than we did, obviously. <laughs> but uh, she was my grandmother's very, very best friend. That my grandmother passed away, and and she called me and asked me to work on this. And we had really a a long journey together. It was eight years battling uh, in in Austria and in the United States, all the way to the Supreme Court. To recover these paintings, so it uh, we 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 really went on this, um, not knowing where it would end, but hoping that at least we could tell the story at each stage. And uh, and it's so wonderful to have it now in a film where everybody's getting to learn the story because it really is one of the great, uh, really remarkable stories of of that time period with the creation of of this magnificent painting, which is one of the most famous, if not the most expensive in the world and uh, uh, with, with Maria's family and then, of course, the Nazi period and Maria and Fritz's escape, which was every bit as harrowing, if not more, than what you see in the film. And, uh, and then this, this incredibly lucky recovery that we had uh, so many years later. So it's really, really a remarkable story, and, and I'm, I'm just continuously getting emails and messages from people all over the world who are seeing it and just loving it. So that makes me huh. feel very good. Huh. So, um, now, what, what was interesting was when you took on this case, you had never done a case like this before. But no, you just, of course, no one had. <laughs> so. But this was the very first case? Well, there, there have been restitution efforts continuously since World War II, but this was, um, I think, one of the first times that anybody tried to sue a foreign country to recover Nazi looted art. And uh, the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, to decide whether that was actually allowed or not, whether it was mm-hmm. permissible for a U.S. court to hear a case like that, and so that that certainly we were the first. Yes, yes. 
Um, so, and, and, and at the time, so what was it that, I mean, you had to go, uh, it, assuming, as you said, it's pretty authentic, you, you were, you were just starting out at the time, and you didn't have a whole, and you gave up, um, a job, you had just gotten a, a job at a, at, you had tried on your own to set up shop as an attorney, and then you got a job with a prestigious law firm, and you essentially wound up giving that up in order to pursue this case over those eight years. Um, what yeah, was I, it? I had worked. I was working at a at at this um, firm downtown, which was actually part of a large New York firm. Uh, at the outset, when Maria called me, and and ultimately, I left that firm and did open up my own office. And and uh, one of the principal reasons was so that I could f- file a lawsuit for Maria Altman, and it was mm-hmm. a little bit crazy. Um, you know, in the movie, they have me not telling my wife first. That's that's fiction. I told her first. <laughs> we worked it out, but uh, but it was a risk, and but I just felt that it was something that that I needed to do. That uh, you know, if it didn't work out, I put my tail between my legs and go back and beg for a job at a big firm. But fortunately, things uh, went a different way. So was I mean, was a part of it that you shared this Austrian heritage? Absolutely. As I said, Maria was my grandmother's closest friend. All four of my grandparents had fled the Nazis. They were all Austrian originally, although my my father's parents fled from Berlin in 33. Uh, And my great-grandfather was killed uh, along with dozens of other family members. And so this was, in a way, like representing my own family Mm -hmm. uh, in the case when I was representing Maria Altman. Her family and mine were just very closely intertwined uh, Mm -hmm. from the last decades and uh, and so it was just natural that I would take on a case like this. Yes, and that passion that you with which you fought it, you know, it was personal too, uh, for you to go through all of that and to be so fervent in in um, trying to to get the justice, trying to get the very successful much, very much so, resolution. Yeah. Well, we need to take a break. Um, my guests are Randy Schoenberg and Simon Goodman. We're talking about reclaiming treasures stolen by the Nazis. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about reclaiming treasures stolen by the Nazis. We've been uh, hearing the story um, so far um, from Randy Schoenberg, played by... um, uh, Ryan in, Ryan Reynolds in the movie The Woman in Gold, um, and talking about how he managed. And yes, I, I actually I hadn't even really thought about that. That that was the first time. It was the first in the sense that um, going to the Supreme Court that the that the U.S. Supreme Court allowed you to to sue a foreign country for the return of these uh, art possessions. And we're going to be hearing soon from Simon Good- Goodman. He is um, the author of a book called The Orpheus Clock, and he is in the process right now of um, struggling to get uh, his family's possessions returned that had been taken by the Nazis. So, Randy, why don't you um, continue with the story? Maybe just tell us a little bit more about the painting itself, which is an incredibly magnificent painting. Right, Gustav Klimt was the most famous and expensive artist around the turn of the century, turn of 19th to the 20th century uh, in Vienna. And Vienna at that time was a capital of a large Central European empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So he was really um, very prominent. And Ferdinand Blochbauer was a, was a very wealthy sugar magnate and hired Klimt to paint not one but two portraits, actually, of his young wife. Uh, Adela, I think, was 25 years old when she sat for the first portrait by Klimt. And that first one is the famous uh, woman in gold, the gold portrait of Adela Blochbauer, which has this sort of gold mosaic around it, that has become really an icon of that whole era, the, the what they call fin de siècle Vienna, uh, 1900, right before World War One, where all of the really great artists and intellectuals of that era congregated. Uh, so in music, you have Gustav Mahler and my grandfather Arnold Schoenberg in painting of Gustav Klimt and Sheila and Kokoschka uh, in, in writing of Schnitzler and Hofmannsthal at politics. I think Lenin and Trotsky were living there, as was Adolf Hitler. Uh, and so you, you have this crucible, uh, Freud and Wittgenstein and all of these artists and intellectuals. And Adela was right in the middle of that. She, she had sort of an intellectual salon. She had no children, unfortunately. Um, and uh, she would invite people over and have parties uh, so all of these intellectuals would come to her house, and uh, just wonderful that way. Uh huh. And so when you when you finally you, you went to Austria at least twice, right, as part of this quest. I'm sorry. You went I, to I Austria at least twice as part of this quest. I went to Austria quite a number of times over the eight years that I, uh-huh. that I worked with Maria. Um, we tried initially to deal with an Austrian law that should have allowed them to return the paintings to Maria's family. They had been taken from her uncle during the Nazi period. And, uh, but the Austrians refused, and we really didn't have any other option in Austria. And so I sort of naively looked at the, the law in the United States and thought, well, Maria has lived here for 60 years. She's a U.S. citizen. Uh, why can't she sue here in the United States? And 
So that's what I did. I filed a uh-huh. lawsuit for Maria here in the United States against Austria to recover the paintings. And basically no one thought that was possible or that it would be successful. Uh, but the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and uh, I had an interesting episode there, uh, which is very accurately portrayed in the, in the movie, where I, I really didn't understand uh, the very first question that was asked of me. Yeah. And, uh, but, it, but it turned out to actually be a very good way to, to start an argument at the Supreme Court, because I immediately had credibility by saying, I don't understand the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you please rephrase it? And it was a very difficult question, so everybody... I, I had, you know, everybody knew I was being honest, and uh-huh. that certainly helped. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, after we were successful there, not to spoil the, the film, uh, we ended up agreeing to do an arbitration in Austria, which was um, a pretty risky move, I have to say, in retrospect. But at the time, it seemed really like the right thing to do to get the case resolved. Maria, at that time, was already 89 years old. The case had been dragging on for years, and I thought, well, this is a way, win or lose, at least it's going to finish. And, uh, and we were very fortunate to, to win. Yes. And now the painting hangs in the new museum in New York City, right? The Neue Gallery, which is a small oh, museum I, I of, of German okay. and Austrian art, but very nice, uh, set up by Ronald Lauder. It's right near the Metropolitan Museum or the Jewish Museum on 86th and 5th on the Upper East Side in, in New York. And uh, the woman in gold, the gold portrait of Adele Blochbauer, was purchased by Ronald Lauder for, at the time, it was the most ever paid for a painting, $135 million. And he agreed also to, to put the painting on permanent display at the museum, which was very important to the family, mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't be um, hidden away in a private collection. Yes, yes. And so I, I would imagine they have had a lot more visitors to that museum since the movie's I, come I've out. I've heard their lines around the block since the movie opened uh, yes, a few yes. weeks ago. Huh, that's wonderful. Okay, Simon Goodman. Um, let's. I, I, I love how your story starts with, uh, or at least in one of the articles that I read, how it starts with your father, uh, you taking your father to the San Diego Museum. Um, oh, yeah. to see a Franz Hall's painting. What, why don't you tell us how that began? Well, it was a very unusual experience because uh, my father uh, had been a very shut-down man who barely expressed his feelings, let alone talked. He certainly never talked about the war, let alone the, the Holocaust. Uh, so this was a, a, an experience when he was much older and visiting myself and my brother who both live here in California and we went for an outing down to San Diego and ended up in the museum at Balboa Park and lo and behold we found ourselves in front of a painting where he was transfixed Uh, the painting had belonged to his father and uh, it was one of those sort of unfortunate pieces that fall fell through the cracks Uh, technically it was legally sold and uh, Ultimately, after the war, my father was paid a pittance, even though you know he never agreed to the sale. So it was one of those sad uh, episodes where you know the the family's heritage was frittered away piecemeal. Uh, it was one of the few occasions where he actually opened up for a minute uh, to me uh, and started to hint at what was still out there. The, the point is, I think a lot of your viewers, uh, listeners, excuse me, might be interested that really 
this is a modern story that only starts about 50 years after the end of the Second World War because all the crucial documents collected by the American, British, French, German governments, Dutch, everybody involved in the Second World War, all, all the main art looting uh, letters, documents, interrogations were sealed as, uh, you know, um, and, and not to be reopened until 50 years after the war. And, huh. and so it, it's not until 1995 that the story really starts to emerge, which is why my generation, uh, the, the third, if you like, from the Holocaust, actually pick up the baton. My, my father, you know, had recovered quite a lot after the war, more than most. He was very brave. Uh, he went banging on doors all over Germany and Holland and France. Um, but after about 10 years, say 1955, 1960 at the latest, everything dried up. And then, to be honest, the whole issue of Holocaust reparation absolutely died. It became mm -hmm. a, a non-story. And it's not until the 90s that it reemerges as a uh, a huge amount of unfinished business, so to speak. Well, now, who uh, and, and it, agreed it, that this um, that these documents should be sealed for 50 years? Whose idea was that, and who agreed to that? Uh, well, all the Allies agreed to it, I, I suppose, because, uh, you know, the interrogations of the Nazi looters, from an American point of view, were handled by what was the uh, OSS, which was the precursor of the CIA. So these were all considered just state secrets, um, they, uh, and the British did the same. Uh, it, it, apparently, it's, it's sort of standard practice. So, um, and then a lot of other things changed in the 90s. Communism fell, so the, 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 the Iron Curtain came down. We, we had the, the, uh, you know, the, the advent of the Internet. Um, all sorts of things changed suddenly. And then suddenly you see people like... Uh, Randy's dear friend and client, Maria Altman, uh, same with my aunt, Lily Gutzmann, who's now uh, 96 nearly. Um, these people started to just a little bit, started to talk about what had happened. Because I think up till then it had been bottled in and that they probably imagined that there was nothing that could be done. Um, hmm. You know, they, these were elderly individuals up against big government. And uh, so then my father dies, and, and I inherit all his old papers. He'd been saving documents. You know, he had Nazi inventories. He had all sorts of interesting things. I had to figure out what it was, because he never actually told me what had happened. And uh, I started by, uh, I found uh, one of our paintings in Chicago, of all places, in 95. And uh, that actually was the first, Holocaust looting case to be heard in a, a U.S. court. So, so you see, it was it was a dead issue up up till that point. Strangely enough, um, now you know um, we're we're still the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> it, it, it's an endless story. The more I dig, the more I research, the more I realize was taken from my family. Hmm. And it's, I mean, to be honest, it's not just about art. Art is, as Randy said, has this eternal quality, and uh, 
it's beautiful and so it's been preserved and of course it's often of great value also I look for the art because it's these are unique pieces and these are the most recognizable and also the most likely to survive it, it's much easier to find a uh, a Botticelli than it is a missing uh, insurance hmm. policy. Hmm. Um, but that being said, um, I'm very grateful. One of, we're one of the lucky families, so we've also managed to find a lot of our furniture. I even, which I'm very proud of, it's in my bedroom now, uh, I found my grandfather's shaving stand in, hmm. in the basement of a big museum in Amsterdam, the, the Rijksmuseum. Well, when you find these things, like you were saying, um, Chicago or whatever, wherever you find these things, are let's say if it's with a, I mean, are they always with a museum, or I imagine sometimes it's with a private person? How, like, yes. how, who were you suing in that case when you found the painting? Uh, in Chicago, it was a private collector. He was one of the richest men in Chicago. It was a very contentious case. And uh, in the end, uh, unfortunately, we had to compromise because legally it was just such a, a, a difficult case. Uh, and, uh, and it all becomes very terribly expensive, too. That's the other thing is, is from a, just a simple economic point of view, there's almost no point pursuing an artwork that's worth less than a million dollars in court because you will have to spend far more than that or borrow it or whatever, you know, depends on your resources. Um, Randy was was very smart in uh, in Austria in in going the uh, arbitration route in the end, and um, you know we're all very glad it worked out for him. Um, I'm about to embark on an arbitration case in Holland right now for um, some very valuable uh, Renaissance uh, Maiolica dishes I've discovered fairly recently in a museum in Rotterdam. Um, so they're, they're, they're endless cases. I'm involved with a Swiss foundation who uh, ends up owning uh, some Renaissance jewelry that belonged to my family. And uh, it's not very valuable, but I, I believe I've even found a, a set of my grandmother's coffee cups. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 they're you know, beautiful porcelain in 18th century, but all the same, they're not you know, uh, a super valuable artwork. Uh -huh. But um, I believe I can prove that there's a lot of uh, my family's mice and porcelain in this museum in um, Bavaria in a city called Augsburg. Well, so, what is uh, the, the... Tell us about the emotions, like whether, whether it's a more expensive painting or whether it's the, the um, cups. Um, what what washes over you when you when you find something like that when you come face to face with something like that? Well, first when I find you know where it is, it's often I just it's out of an old book or something. I mean that is a, a very exciting moment uh, when I actually come face to face with an artwork. Um, it's to be honest an almost uh, mystical experience because it's uh, my only opportunity to communicate in a sense with the grandparents that I never knew mm. and uh, so I, I can commune with something I realized that they loved and collected and cherished uh, you know until the house was emptied out by the Nazis mm -hmm. um, so uh, actually Randy helped me uh, in a case just a few years ago when I found uh, a painting right here in Los Angeles 
Um, and uh, that ended up very happily. Uh, I, we, we were fortunate that the owner, the collector at the time, was a very decent man, and uh, we were able to settle that case amicably, and he actually um, helped load the painting into the back of my old uh, Jaguar. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, we should, without without disclosing the client in that, I think yes. we should talk about that because it's it's really a model for how these things should go. Right, uh, right. I was not representing Simon actually. I, uh, the person who had the painting would receive it as a gift thirty years earlier, uh, and had it over his mantelpiece as you would uh, for a nice painting in, in his living room. Contacted me and said I just received this claim and and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know hmm. if it's real or not. And we spent several months researching. We went up to the Getty Library. Uh, there was an issue of, of the title of the painting had changed. The, the name of the painting had changed over time, and so he wasn't even sure that it was the same one. And ultimately, we found the evidence it was exactly the same one that had come from Simon's family. And this, this client of mine decided, I don't want it anymore. I want to return it. And mm. without, you know, there was, there was no exchange. He just returned the property. And that, well. <laughs> that's really how these things should be handled. Uh, unfortunately, that's, in my experience, very rare. The, the uh, exception that proves the rule. Yes, that was a wonderful case. And, uh, but I've, I've had others. I, I found a painting at uh, Rutgers University in New Jersey, and they, too, uh, took them a year to figure out what had happened. I presented them with a you know, pile of documents are stacked the, the size of an old telephone book, and uh, eventually they figured out, yes, um, it did belong to my family, and they gave that back as well. So I have to say mostly, uh, and I've been doing this for 20 years now, um, I've been remarkably successful um, despite all odds. Um, I mean, there are a few things the Dutch government have turned me down on, and I've had a couple of setbacks with the French government, but even so, I just received a, a fairly significant French government settlement uh, this last month um, for, for artwork that was lost in France that nobody can mm. now find. So the, the French government accepted responsibility. It was just huh. Well, um, tell us about the, um, the monument, man, and how that connects to your story. Well, um, they are great heroes, and they did find uh, an enormous amount of my family's collection. I mean, some of it, some of the, bet, the, the important paintings had, had gone to you know, Hitler's collection, and others were salted away by Hermann Goering, and uh, they found these hidden in salt mines and in old railway cars and all sorts of things. And uh, the problem was with the Monuments Men, sadly, was that the State Department disbanded them just a few years after the end of the war when, uh, without really giving them the opportunity of finishing the job. I mean, to be honest, there were only about 400 of them at the height of, of, of the post-war era. Uh, so they... Uh, turned over all the artworks they'd recovered, and they, they must have processed, you know, well over a million pieces. I, I'm not sure the exact number, but it's huge. They returned uh, the artworks to whichever country they had been looted from. So they became, uh, from that point on, the responsibility of the new government in Denmark, Belgium, Holland, uh, France, Italy, Yugoslavia, wherever. And that's where, from my family's point of view, the problem 
really started. I mean, some paintings were given back right after the war, but not many. And the rest languished in the state collections of the governments of, in my family's case, Holland and France. Uh, and uh, it was only... It took until 2002, and, and my family actually are very proud of this. We're instrumental in getting the Dutch government to change their law. And uh, there was a vote in Parliament, and they ultimately uh, agreed to return to my family uh, was about 250 pieces, including wow. my grandfather's shaving stand. Um, you know, even broken cups and saucers, but also... Very, some valuable paintings, some uh, priceless silver, uh, tapestries, everything. Um, so what have you been doing so far with the things that you have retrieved? Well, I, um, I keep as much as I can. I, I share this with my brother, his family, and my aunt and her family. And then um, in many cases, with, with a valuable painting, uh, sadly, we're not the rich family we used to be. You know, we were, um, I've now discovered, one of the wealthiest families in Germany up till the Nazi era. Um, we're no longer that. I mean, the Nazis succeeded in what they wanted to do in destroying our, our way of life. Um, and I'm trying to reclaim what I can. So uh, it's expensive what I do. It's time. This is what I do, by the way. I used mm -hmm. to be in the music business <laughs> in another life, <laughs> and but for the last 15 years, certainly, this has taken over my my life. This is this is my quest, and I I'll pursue it to the grave probably. Um, so we 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 sell where 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 we have to painting, so so it can be divided evenly amongst the remaining heirs. Uh, that's and often the way, you know. Uh, as I say, you know, we're, we're, we're not the wealthy family we used to be. I would love to keep everything, but then I owe my brother and aunt a, a fortune, which I don't have. So uh, that that's the nature of the beast. But, I, you know, I'm very pleased with what I have kept. I even have a cushion from the house. I have all, all sorts of odds and ends, uh, you know. And so then you use some of the money that you get from from selling it to, to finance the continued pursuit yes. of these objects. That's correct. That's correct. I just uh -huh. came back from France. I'm now off to New York. It's, it's an endless pursuit. Yes, yes. Well, we need to take a break. Unfortunately, this segment isn't endless, but we will be back. We're talking right. today about reclaiming treasures stolen by the Nazis. My guests are Randy Schoenberg and Simon Goodman. And you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we will be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? 
call the Terrorism Hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in The Business of Living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about reclaiming treasures stolen by the Nazis. Uh, of course, the, the most, the dearest treasures are the uh, mothers and fathers and other relatives who um, perished in the Nazi concentration camps. But um, we can at least reclaim, or at least that's what my guests have been in the process of doing, uh, the possessions of these family members. Randy Schoenberg was just recently portrayed in the movie Woman in Gold by Ryan Reynolds. Um, and Simon Goodman is the author of a book called The Orpheus Clock about his uh, pursuit of his family's possessions. Um, so, Randy, you know, of course, one of the, one of the side or one of the important um, aspects of this is to keep you know, for those people who are who are Holocaust deniers, or particularly now, in where it seems like anti-Semitism is certainly growing in, by leaps and bounds, the uh, the desire to try to say that the Holocaust never existed um, is important, and so this is almost like a counter movement. You know, there are those people, and then there's um, trying to reclaim the possessions stolen by the Nazis in the Holocaust. As, right. as well, the president of the L.A. Museum of the Holocaust, what's your take on all this? Well, I was lucky to get involved with the museum, actually, before I even was involved in this case and then, mm. and then became president right before uh, we were successful. And as, as a result of that success, I was able to help the museum build a new building. Actually, the L.A. Mm. Museum of the Holocaust uh, is the oldest Holocaust collection in the country. It started over 50 years ago by survivors. And... I just think it's so important to take advantage of the fact that we still have people uh, living with us today who were there and can tell us about what actually happened. The Holocaust, I, I think, in a way, I mean, some people say they hear too much of it, but it really is, in some sense, downplayed because it is so recent in our history. Uh, if you think about what people learn in school, I have, I have teenage kids, and you know they'll spend two weeks on the Peloponnesian Wars, which in the scheme sure. of things don't really mean much today. Mm. Um, and if you think about what went on in World War II with, between the Holocaust and, and, uh, and all of the other uh, military activities, it really is, is a world event that is going to have repercussions for 
centuries, um, and the Holocaust itself, of course, is so enormous, it's the, by far the worst human catastrophe in the history of mankind, which sounds like an exaggeration, but it really is. And here we have, living in Los Angeles, people who were there, people who mm-hmm. survived the camps, who were in hiding, who, whose families were, were destroyed, and, uh, and we have their artifacts. So I've been very fortunate to be involved with the museum where we can put these artifacts on display. We can bring survivors in to speak to school kids, which we do every day. And uh, they're now, I think, we'll have about 50,000 people going through this museum uh, every every year now, and uh, and it's just it, it's a way for me not only to give back but also to to help preserve the memory and commemorate the people in my own family who are who are killed. So mm-hmm. for me, I think it's it's incredibly important and meaningful. And I, you know, I think you're right. There are a lot of people still in the world uh, for whatever reason who don't have the the access to the information and believe the the lie that these things never happened. And to you know, when you walk through a museum and you see the artifacts, you see the the children's shoes that were left behind in Auschwitz, which, for example, we have on display, and you see the the paperwork that um, that is behind all of these expropriations, and you see the the images of of people being um, young people, old people being shot in pits in in Eastern Europe. Um, you see all this. You see video of the of the survivors. I think it becomes undeniable. And sort of it, it, my dream, if you will, is that you know you bring a young teenager through this and expose them for the first time to these images and these stories. And thirty, forty years later, that young teen is going to be our mayor, our governor, our president. Mm. Uh, and they need to have that background. They need to know that this happened. They need to know what what is possible in the world and what what. Uh, and what the uh, repercussions of the Holocaust are in understanding, for example, what's happened in the Middle East and et cetera. Uh, and so I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful privilege for me to be able to, to use the success I had in restitution of Nazi looted paintings in a way that, that uh, feeds the education about this, this terrible event. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, Simon? Um, yes. Tell us about your book. Well, uh, the, the Orpheus Clock ends up being a, a tale that starts back in the end of the Napoleonic Wars. It's, it's the, the history of my family, the, the story that my father was never able to tell me. And in the process of originally researching the works of art that had been looted from us, I ended up discovering the lives of the people who'd collected these pieces. Hmm. So... Through the art, I was able to reconstruct my family history. And uh, what happened, of course, in the Holocaust is absolutely crucial to my family's story. It's, 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 there's uh, two, three chapters right in the middle of my book which deal with this, because this is when, effectively, we lost, not only my grandparents lost their lives, as did so many other relatives, but we lost control of everything that had been, you know, our, our possessions, our homes, our bank accounts, uh, and everything. And so, I, amazingly, I, I've been able to document the exact day that my grandparents were arrested, who were the name of the officer, the Nazi wow. SS officer who arrested them, the train they were put on. They were still treated like uh, uh, dignitaries, and so they had their own transport carriage to themselves 
to the concentration camp. Oh, wow. Strange. Uh, I found the name of the Nazi capo guard who beat my grandfather to death. Huh. Um, I have his cell number. Um, for all those people out there still, you know, denying that this ever happened, um, I was very proud to have this opportunity of at least doing my bit of documenting very accurately exactly what happened to just one family. And, uh, it, you know, it's crucial because uh, they, they kept my grandfather alive because they wanted him to sign over the, the family silver collection, which was mm. priceless and dated back to medieval times, and Goering wanted it. And uh, so they, they you know, it, it's a strange tale, but the Holocaust interweaves through, you know, uh, this story to this day, when did we lose possession? When did my, did my grandfather sign this, didn't he? And uh, so it's, it's, it's still a living story for me. Um, people say, you know, why now? About, because it never got settled then, that's why now. Uh -huh. and, uh, the Holocaust isn't in the past for me. Um, I'm still living it in a sense because this uh, has not been finished by a long chalk. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. There's still so much uh, I'm dealing with uh, property that was in East Berlin now, um, all sorts of things. I did get not one but two Swiss bank settlements. Um, it, it, it's an endless task of, of, of what they took. As Randy said, it's clearly the greatest crime in, in, in the history of man, uh, the greatest murder in the history, but also the greatest theft in the history of man. Yes. Uh, now, one thing they, I wanted to ask everything. you, actually, that you mentioned early on, um, when you took your father to that museum in San Diego, yes. Yes. you that wasn't a coincidence. You you knew that that painting that had belonged um, to him. Was it a coincidence? Vague, I, I, I don't quite remember the circumstances. I, I didn't know the story. Um, so you mean when enough, you, uh, you and know, your father uh, walked in there and he had this Emotional reaction to it? Yes, because as a kid, I remember he'd take me to museums, and he used to sit me down in a corner and just say, look at this painting, and he'd run off, and, you know, he was all sort of haranguing curators and museum officials about where's this and where's the provenance and who bought this and who sold this when. And, but I, I, did, I was a little child. I didn't understand what was going on. Um, so this is, you know, but he, he, he died a few years after this. This was he, as close as he got to opening up a little bit. So, uh, I mean, so that wasn't like a planned, you, you didn't plan to take him, oh, here's where a picture is? A, a, no, um, no. I, as it turns out, sort of almost everywhere we go here in L.A., there's a painting that belonged to us that's hanging huh. at the Getty. I mean, the, you, you can go into almost any museum and find... Huh. Uh, there's several pieces of our silver collection at the Met in New York. I mean, it's it's all over. Yeah, oh, wow. Hmm. Um, wow. That that must have been an amazing, amazing moment, huh? I so, thought so I thought that it, you had purposely it, brought him there, but that, huh? Wow. Uh, well, my book, I you know, is is full of coincidences. Uh huh. Um, and uh, that's you know, life is stranger than fiction, quite yes. clearly. Yes. And Randy, I wanted to ask you something um, from the movie that uh, sure. that struck me that I'm sure is, was true also in real life. Um, 
that when Maria, when, when you did, when you were successful and you got the painting and she, um, you know, the, the whole thing, I mean, for a while it was all about the quest, and then when you finally were successful, it brought back the memories to her, her feelings about um, how, how guilty, I guess, she felt, how bad she felt about leaving her parents behind when she came to America. Yeah, I mean, that was, um, I, I just gave a talk about that, actually, at, at at the annual Holocaust commemoration, that scene was um, a little bit manufactured. It's actually, uh, as as so many scenes are, sort of a combination of different stories. And so right. Maria actually did did uh, did not leave her father behind. He he died shortly before she left, a, a few weeks before um, the mother managed to escape ultimately. But that that um, uh, farewell scene did play out with with so many other families. I've been approached by so many people. Who said, you know, that's exactly what happened. My mother left and never saw her parents again. And I, it was really only after being approached by people that I realized, you know, my own grandfather, my mother's father, did the very same thing. He and his his siblings uh, escaped, but their parents stayed behind, and they never saw them again. Hmm. Uh, so, so it, it, I think as so many of the scenes in the in the film, especially that one, resonates with people very much. Uh, while it might not be perfectly historically accurate with regard to Maria Altman, it is something that played out over and over again during that yes. terrible time period. Uh, and and there was no, you know, no certainty of of the outcome by any means. Um, yes. Uh, and so Maria's her mother... Her sort of scattered in different directions. Her sister, by the way, just to give an example, her sister was married to a Baron Gutmann also. Uh-huh. I'm in family, uh, maybe unrelated, but uh, he was a lumber baron in in Croatia, and they they went there thinking the Nazis wouldn't come in there, but of course the the Croatian uh, allies of the Nazis, the Ustasha, took over, and they were nearly deported to Auschwitz, as so many other Jews in that area were. Uh, they managed to hide through the war, and uh, Maria's sister's husband actually was then captured by the communists immediately mm-hmm. after the war ended. Uh, when they took over and then was executed by the communists for being a mm-hmm. capitalist. So you can imagine surviving huh. for for six, seven years under the Nazis in hiding and then coming out and well. being executed by the communists. So, yeah. uh, you know, the family was not short on tragedies by any any means. Uh, Ferdinand Blochbauer had a sister who was one of the oldest people sent to Theresienstadt who died there. Uh, and so, you know, all these details, they couldn't really bring them all into the film. There are so many details that are evocative for people, and I've been, I've been just hearing from all over the world people who are touched by it, which I think yes. is great. Yes, yes uh, absolutely. My grandfather stayed behind as well, but he, he, strangely enough, sent his son, my father, a cable who was in England by then saying, don't come back. Huh. He, he he knew what was coming, and yet he wasn't able to leave himself. Right. It, it, yeah. they, yes. they were stuck. They, um, I guess, oh. they couldn't abandon everything, or they nobody imagined it would be as bad as it ended up being. Obviously. Yes. Yes. It was. It was trying to make the decisions when you really didn't know when you well, couldn't they know what they was could to, write to come. It out. Some people but, but, thought but, Hitler we, was bad. Unfortunately, I know what's to come. That we need to. Get to, to to make uh, closure on this show. Of course, both yeah. of you can talk forever and you such amazing stories and, and 
I really admire. I think what you're doing is so important. And um, again, I'd like to thank Randy Schoenberg and Simon Goodman. Thank you. And um, just thank you for doing what you're doing and for sharing it with the world. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 